0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Craig B. Weldon about his career in the military and his insights about setting organizational expectations, effective communication and mentoring for success. Greg Weldon, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast.
1: Thanks, John, happy to be here again.
0: Yeah, it's great to have you back. Um, you joined me on an episode, what, maybe two or three weeks ago, and we had such a good discussion and we really ran out of time and didn't have a chance to get into everything, and so we thought we should just reschedule uh, and, and have you back on soon so we could continue the conversation. So today we're going to continue to talk more about your book and I'll introduce um, that in just a moment Um, and focus primarily on setting organizational expectations, effective communication and mentoring for success. Uh, As leaders, we have a lot of opportunity to do all three of those and uh, I think exceptional leaders do them very well. So we'll have a good conversation. Uh, about all of those. As we get started, I did want to share Craig's bio with everyone. Uh, In case you didn't catch the last episode that he was on, I want to make sure you know a little bit about his background. Craig B. Weldon's uh, leadership journey began as an Eagle Scout at the age of 14. 30 years later, he was the youngest general in the United States Army. Combined with another nine years as a member of the Senior Executive Service with the U.S. Marine Corps, he has led thousands of soldiers, sailors, marines, and civilians while serving 10 years in Europe and another 12 in the Pacific. In 2011, he was uh, inducted into the Purdue University Tri-Service ROTC Hall of Fame. In March 2019, he published Leadership, the Art of Inspiring People to Be Their Best, winning three national book awards and attaining number one international bestseller status on Amazon.com. Craig is now a global fortune 500 speaker and lives in Bluffton, South Carolina. Uh, thank you again for joining us. Uh, you know, as we discussed last time, an incredible background, uh, and, and, career trajectory that you've had to find yourself at this place now where you get to give back and share, uh, with, with leaders across the world to help them learn how to better improve their, uh, their approach with their teams, uh, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Uh, Anything that you would like to share uh, with listeners uh, just so they can get a more of a sense of who you are, where you came from. Um, They can hear, you know, more extensively about your story in the last episode if they want to go back and look at the, the show archives. Um, But any kind of a a short um, nutshell kind of summary.
1: Yeah, John. So about two and a half years ago, my wife, uh said she was ready to move on to the next chapter of our life and it's a bit of a surprise because we were living in hawaii at the time and i thought we were going to die in hawaii Uh, she said i want to go back to the east coast be closer to family so that's the reason we're here and so when i started contemplating the next chapter in my life which is what i'm doing now somebody asked me what do you want to do next and i said i want to give back decades of leadership and life lessons uh, to the next generation that's what i'd like my legacy to be Um, and they said well you ought to write a book and i remember telling them at the time wow are you kidding me i can't write a book Uh, that was kind of intimidating for me i'd never written a book i'd spent 40 years in and around the military but as you've seen and as you saw as you just said i did write a book it's done uh, pretty well and it is sort of the basis of what i talk about when i go out and speak to groups Uh, on leadership and life lessons. It's not just a leadership book. It's about life lessons. And I do that through storytelling, both in the book and when I'm on a stage.
0: Yeah, thank you for that. And and really, uh, the, the book, like you said, it does a good job of not just kind of sharing leadership concepts or theories and just leaving them hanging out there, but it's all very much narrative and story-based, right, and application-oriented. Yeah. So, so anyone reading the book um, can get a real sense of how these principles play out in real life and get ideas about how, you know, you might be able to apply it into your own life and, and, uh, and improve your own uh, leadership uh, approach and, and behaviors.
1: Yeah, uh, you know, life is like walking down a path and there are rocks on the path. And the rocks represent the good things in your experiences and the bad things. And what I tell people is put a backpack on, pick up the rocks, both the good ones and the bad ones, put them in your backpack and carry them along with your journey. That's what I've done. So over many, many decades of uh, my adult life uh, and prior to that, when I saw things that I thought were really, really good and neat and something I'd like to be able to emulate, I'd pick that rock up, put it in my rock sack. By the same token, I picked up those things that I thought weren't so good to remind myself never to do that. I remember saying a number of times throughout my career, "Boy, if I ever get into a position like that, I hope I'm not like that." And uh, I think many of your listeners can relate to that.
0: <laughs> Certainly, I can. Um, yeah, y- there's there's lots to be learned uh, from all of the experiences that we have, and I've been in that exact that exact same boat um, where you know. I, I've been fortunate to have some really great people um, that I've, you know, rubbed shoulders with, and great leaders that I've I've been able to look up to. But I've also, like many of us, you know, I've I've been around some people that weren't so great. Uh, perhaps they were too ego driven. Uh, perhaps, um, you know, they had uh, unhealthy behaviors or, or whatever uh, the case may be. And those are the types of things that when we see the the consequences of those types of actions and behaviors we get firsthand knowledge about like really what the impact is um, on both the good and the bad side and that that really can inform what we try to do uh moving forward uh so that's i i've definitely appreciated those lessons and i'm better for you know even the the hard things and the 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 tough leaders that i've i've been associated with in the
1: past yeah, so some sometimes those bad behaviors don't come out until people are under pressure, um, and that's when they get exposed. And so that gets back to the discussion we had last time we spoke about the importance of having strong character, uh, because people who do have strong character, which is the first chapter in my book, because I think it's the most important aspect of leadership, uh, people who have strong character often are able to make it through these difficult times, these tough times, um, relatively unscathed, and they're the ones who really demonstrate what great leadership's all about. It's the people who have flaws in their character that come undone when they're put under pressure, and, and we've all seen examples of that.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, today we're going to continue uh, with the dialogue that we were having last time. As you said, we were focusing really on the, f- the front end of your book, the first several chapters Uh, with a particular focus on character. Today, I thought we could continue that and talk about expectations, communication, and mentoring. Uh, I think the the most successful leaders recognize that the number one goal of a leader is to develop others, to develop the people around them, right? And how do you do that? Well, you do that through mentorship. Um, You do that through uh, effective communication of expectations and holding people mutually accountable, right? Right. Uh, and so I think those three elements go hand in hand. And again, as we discussed last time, you know, these aren't like super complex points. It's not rocket science. Um, I think everyone listening can realize, yeah, we need to be good communicators. Yeah. We should mentor people and develop people. Yeah. We should set expectations. Um, but in practice, in application, it can be harder to do, and uh, particularly to, to do it consistently. And I think it's it's one of the ways that many leaders really, despite their best intentions, they end up coming up short because they don't do those things. So let's start with uh, expectations. Why is it so important to set uh, clear expectations with your people, uh, and how does that set the stage for good leadership?
1: So let me ask a rhetorical question. Have you ever worked for somebody who – Uh, Came into the organization new, and two or three months later, you're still trying to figure out them and what they think is important because they haven't given you the guidance that you need. They've got personal quirks that pop up at the strangest times that you didn't know anything about. I've certainly experienced that many times. The military is kind of unique in that you change jobs every two or three years. And when you spend 40 years in the military, you're going to have 20 or 30 different kinds of jobs scattered throughout that at different locations all over the world. And so you have an opportunity to join new organizations or lead new organizations many, many times. So I found, uh, the military has found quite frankly, that when you're in a small organization, let's say 50 to hundred people, it's relatively easy for you to get to know each other relatively quickly because you see each other every day. And in the military, that's a company-sized unit. And I had a company when I had, had about six or seven years in the Army. Um, I had a tank company. It had 65 to 75 soldiers on any given day, and, and they knew me. When I became a battalion commander a few years later, I had a 1,000 soldiers, and they rotated in every two or three years, they'd be gone, and new ones would come in. Battalion command, lieutenant colonel level, 15-year service is about the time the military encourages you to write down what they call the philosophy of command. In my book, it's Appendix A. So when I became a battalion commander in 1989, I sat down at my kitchen table. This is the days before word processing and computers and all that. And with a yellow legal pad, I wrote down what I thought was important for the organization, which I was about to take charge of, to be the CEO of, to be the commander of for the next two years. and I did that several months before I took the flag and took the command uh, title. And then I sent it out as a draft to 10 or 15 people who knew me very, very well. And I said, this is the way I think that I think. <laughs> you know me very well. Tell me if I'm looking in the mirror and seeing what I think I'm seeing. And I got some good feedback and I did some editorial changes to this document. But at the end of the, this, per, this process, I felt very, very comfortable that the document I was about to issue on the very first day of my command reflected me and reflected what I thought was important for the organization. And I issued that on the very first day. And then again, in the military, it's called a uh, philosophy of command. In the civilian world, it might be called a corporate vision statement uh, or a mission statement or a combination of something along those lines. It almost doesn't matter what you call it as long as you actually do it. Uh, And then once a month I would have a newcomers meeting every time we got newcomers into the organization. We typically would have 10, 20, or 30 or so every month because again it was a thousand person organization. I would have a, a meeting with all of those newcomers And I would talk to them about what was in this document. And I would tell them, these are my expectations. This is the direction I expect this organization to head. And these are my uh, priorities. And these are my non-negotiables. I had certain non-negotiables at at West Point, the military academy. Uh, They have one that says, you shall not lie, cheat, or steal, or tolerate those who do. And just this morning, just this morning, I saw breaking news that they have a cheating scandal of something like 70 cadets at West Point uh, who have violated that basic code. But back to the philosophy of command. I issued that on the very first day. I had monthly meetings with newcomers, and then I gave them a copy. And I wrote it at a level that everybody could understand because that gets at the communications aspect. You got to make sure that when you communicate something, whether it's in writing or verbally, you connect to your audience in some way. So if it's a six year old or a 60 year old, if it's a male or a female, an American, a foreigner, um, uh, liberal a conservative, it almost doesn't matter who you're talking to. If you have a message that you need to communicate You need to understand who it is you're talking to, who it is you're writing to, who's your target audience, and then connect to them in terms that they best understand. Uh, I often, and I'm not picking on them because I love them, but people in the IT community often will talk to each other in what I call IT speak, techno speak and I have no clue what they're talking about. I just got off the phone with my 95 year old mother about two hours ago trying to help her fix her Kindle because she'd lost her internet connection. And I had to talk to her in terms that she understood uh, not seeing her Kindle to help her get back online. Uh, That's that's what I'm talking about. So effective communications, absolute critical skill for effective leadership, talking to people in terms they understand. Somebody once said, it's not what you say that matters, it's what the other person hears. And no truer words could be said, I think. And then telling people early on what your expectations are and uh, and what your quirks are, if you have any quirks. Let me tell a short story if I can. I once worked for a three-star general and uh, he came into the organization on his very first staff call. It was nine o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, I think it was. We went into the conference room. He obviously sat at the head of the table. All his staff sat on, uh, uh, along the side. I was his deputy at the time. And there was a clock on the wall directly opposite from where he sat. And he was not saying anything. It was about, you know, people were strolling in two, three, four, five minutes before the meeting started, and they sat at their designated place. And when the second hand hit nine o'clock on that clock, He turned to his aide and he said, close the door and lock it. So his aide closed the door and he locked it. And there were two staff members that were not in the room. They were late. And uh, they showed up a minute or two later, and they couldn't get in. And they knocked on the door, you know, like, hello, can I get in? And the commander turned to his aide and said, don't open the door. So he was making a point about punctuality which is a thing for him. And I'm not knocking that because I think that's important. But I guess the point to your listeners is, is that the best way to do it? Because that, quite frankly, humiliated those two senior officers who, for perhaps a good reason, may have been late. I don't know what the reasons were, but maybe it wasn't a good reason, but maybe it was a good reason. But they were humiliated with their brand new boss on the very first week he was there by making his point about punctuality by locking the door exactly at nine o'clock. So what's another way to do that? Another way to do that might have been let the people show up late and then in his first staff call, talk about his vision, his personal quirks, his non-negotiables, all those sorts of things like I used to do when I was a battalion commander. The other thing I used to do, and I did this a little later in my career, I put together a presentation called Weldon on Weldon, and that's Appendix B in my book. And one of the things I do in Weldon on Weldon is I talk about my strengths, and I talk about my weaknesses. And I'm very comfortable talking about both of those, because I do have some strengths, and I know what they are, and they've been validated through the years. But I also have some weaknesses, and I know what those are, and those have been validated through the years. One of them is that I'm an introvert. So I don't, jump up and down i'm not a cheerleader like uh, some extroverts perhaps may be and my weakness is i really really care that's a strength but it doesn't always show that's a weakness and i say that in my weldon and weldon pitch so i used to give the weldon on weldon pitch tied to the philosophy of command at the very front end to tell people this is me you know this is what you get uh, what you see is what you get. This is me. And, um, and that's why I put them in my leadership book that I wrote last year as appendixes so people can yeah. see the techniques and the tactics that I used when I was a leader in the military. Uh, those are two of the tools I had in my kit bag.
0: and work. The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Yeah, and I mean, both of those elements are so important, the, the expectations and the communication, and you just illustrated how they really do go hand in hand. And a lot of it comes back to transparency, right? You were vulnerable and transparent with your people. It's hard to set expectations if they don't know where you're coming from. Right. right. And so you have to find ways to effectively communicate that to them. Uh, and I liked, uh, I liked the, the newcomer meetings that you had, uh, drafting a statement that you could share with everyone so they could have a sense of who you are, what your approach is. Uh, Those are great mechanisms to be able to do that. Uh, I think equally important is, you know, when we're leading people, we share our expectations with them, um, but we need to hear and listen to their expectations for us, right? Um, And I think that's something that often gets missed uh, when a new leader comes into an organization you know, thinking I'm going to, you know, especially if there's problems and you know, you're coming in to kind of shake things up, to fix things. Um, there's a, there's an inclination to come in, see yourself as the savior of the organization. And because of that, you you know, why would you want to talk to other people or listen to them or get their input? Because they obviously, you know, are, are doing things poorly. And so you're, you're there to fix it. Uh, it's a big missed opportunity. Uh, whether, whether that's true or not, whether or not they, they're all incompetent, whether or not, you know, they drove the organization into the ground or not. Um, there's a fundamental principle of leadership around communication and expectations. And that is that it goes both directions and, yeah. and you have to listen and you have to hear, um, what they have to say and you have to help them feel heard. Uh, and it, it's it, like you just said with, with being an introvert, and and always caring but not always showing it like it doesn't really matter how much i care or how much i um how committed i am to people or you know those things those are important and i want everyone to like genuinely sincerely care but if i never show it or they can't see it the way i'm showing it if they if they can't uh feel it you know from the way i'm approaching them then then I have to figure something else out. Right. Uh, Otherwise it's like the tree falling in the forest with nobody around. Uh, And, and I do think over time that you, as you, people can sense it, they can sense your vulnerability, your sincerity, your authenticity. And so the longer, you know, people, even if you have trouble like showing it, they're going to know because of their interactions with you. But like you said, in a large organization, you may not have a lot of direct interactions with a lot of people. And so so again, just having that, that opportunity to listen, to create buy-in, to have shared expectations and open communication channels, both directions is so vital and important. And unfortunately, far too often, even if someone does a pretty decent job of sharing things openly down the line, they don't always open up channels to receive communication up the line and that can cause
1: problems as well. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I've got another story here, I love storytelling. (laughs) That's the same church in a different pew, perhaps. Um, In a 30 year career in the military, I saw them use what I will call peer reviews twice and only twice. Once at the very beginning of my career, when I went to ranger school, in, uh, which is a very challenging uh, school, it's nine weeks long, Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, most of your listeners probably heard of the rangers and the ranger regiment and so forth, but I I, I didn't. I was a tanker, so I, did, I was not an infantry officer, but I went to their school, so I didn't go into a ranger unit, because that's an infantry unit, but I went to their school, because that's a superb training uh, opportunity and leadership opportunity and they had peer reviews and quite frankly if you didn't do well on the peer reviews you didn't graduate it was simple as that because part of ranger school was all about teamwork and you needed to demonstrate that you were a good team player or you just wouldn't graduate now i didn't see that kind of peer review done again until i became a general officer Many, many years later, I think it's 23 years later, I became a, a general officer. And when you become a general officer, they have peer reviews. Uh, the Chief of Staff of the Army, the senior guy in the military sends a, uh, a questionnaire, a survey out once a year, and it asks three questions about all the other general officers at your grade in the Army. So for when you're a Brigadier General, a one-star, first time I saw that, uh, after 23-year hiatus from Ranger School, I got this questionnaire, it asked three questions. Do you know this officer? And it listed all the other one-stars. If yes, would you recommend him for or her for promotion? And would you recommend him or her for command? And that's it. And they some, all the input went into some kind of algorithm that was provided feedback to the Chief of Staff of the Army to help him decide which generals were gonna be leaders, and which generals were gonna be staff officers and which generals needed to be promoted because of their leadership skills. That was the only two times in my entire 30 year career that I saw uh, uh, any kind of feedback like that. The gap between had none of that. Now, break, break, fast forward. I'm now a senior executive for the Marine Corps and part of the senior executive service in the federal government uh, uh, sends you to schools every three years. And as part of being a senior executive, you have to get a 360 degree evaluation every three years. And so I went to a course called Leadership at the Peak at uh, Colorado Springs, four and a half days. It was all about uh, self-reflection. And prior to going to the course, uh, they sent surveys out and I had to provide them a list of 15 to 20 people, people that worked for me, people that worked with me, and of course, my boss. And all those people filled out that anonymously, except for my boss, because I only had one boss. But I didn't know who was providing input, what they were saying. But when I arrived at the course, there were only 12 students in the course, and I was the only one from the federal government in the course. Everybody else was a C-suite person, CEO, COO, CIO, CMO, whatever the case may be. And they had these charts up on the wall with no names on them and uh, a chart that kind of reflected the character traits, the personality traits of each of the students in this course, as seen from the views of their subordinates, their coworkers, and their boss, and oh, by the way, of you yourself, because we had to fill out the same survey. And it was interesting to see that well over half of the 12 charts that were up there had dramatic gaps between the how the people who were in the course saw themselves and how others saw them and of course the course was all about how do we bring that together how do we close that gap so that we're telling the emperor he's not wearing any clothes if in fact he's naked Um, so it was a fascinating course mine happened to be very very close to each other and i think part of the reason was because i had a pretty good self Uh, sense of self-awareness. I understood, I thought, how people viewed me, and it got validated when I got there. Um, So when I looked in the mirror, I saw the same thing that other people uh, were seeing. One other story, if I can. When I applied for that job um, in 2010, one of the questions that was asked of me in the interview was, okay, you have 30 seconds in an elevator to tell the selecting official why you're the right person for this job. What would you say? And I said to, in response to that question, I said, well, first of all, I don't think I'd repeat all my qualifications because I would have assumed that the selecting official would have seen my application or my resume and would know what my background was. So I wouldn't talk about that. What I would tell him was, You can talk to anybody who knows Craig Weldon, anybody I've worked for, anybody I've worked with, or anybody who has worked for me. And they will all say the same thing about me. And I was comfortable enough in saying that. I was basically saying, I'm an open book. I'm not a Jekyll and Hyde. I'm not a duplicitous kind of person. I'm not bipolar. You won't hire me and then discover two months later that I'm some crazy dude that treats his subordinates one way and his boss a different way. I've worked for people like that. You've probably worked for people like that. And I suspect many of your listeners have probably worked for people. And I wanted this board to understand that I wasn't, what you see is what you get. And, uh, and I'm comfortable in my skin enough to challenge them to go check me out with anybody. They're all going to say the same thing. Now, fast forward a couple of weeks, I got a telephone interview from the selecting interview, uh, selecting official, and he didn't ask me anything about my qualifications. It was a chemistry check, not much more. And at the very end, he said, so is there anything like you'd you'd like to leave with me? And I said, well, as a matter of fact, sir, I I had a board interview a couple of weeks ago and I was asked this question and I repeated it to him and I told him what my answer was and he laughed and he said, yeah, they told me about that. So I felt pretty good that, hey, that was a pretty good answer. <laughs> and I, I felt pretty good about the answer before that, but I kind of validated it, that what you see is what you get, and, uh, and, and you need to be genuine. You need to show that you are the same person day in, day out, no matter who you're around, no matter if you're in the military with a private or a general or the president of the United States, it's the same person uh, all the time
0: yeah absolutely and really, that connects your last couple of stories I think connect really well with um the last point. I can't remember which chapter maybe around chapter seven or eight of your book where you talk about um, uh, developing others and mentoring right and I think I think one of the most important things a leader can do is develop their people, and so when you were talking about going to this retreat around self-reflection and doing 360 feedback, that's an example of a really great tool, right? To, to help develop your people, develop help develop the leadership capacities of your people. Um, having open, uh, transparent conversations, uh, being uh, sincere and authentically um, open to them and, and sharing your weaknesses, but supporting each other. And all of these are the types of things that develop trust and will allow you the opportunity to better develop your people. If people don't trust you, they're not going to look to you as an example. They're not going to um, lean on you as a mentor, right? So mentorship is built upon a foundation of a trusting relationship. um, And that can only happen as we have clear expectations back and forth and as we openly, transparently, and authentically communicate.
1: Yeah, so in the early 80s, uh, the United States Army and the rest of the services followed their lead, I believe, and I may have this wrong, but I think I'm right, created something called the After Action Review, uh, or AAR for short, which is now part of the DNA of the military. And the After Action Review was designed to basically, after a training event or after an operational uh, mission, we take the time to reflect back on what we did, what we did well and what we didn't do well so that we can make ourselves better for the future. And as part of the architecture for that, the way the military set that up is the first person to stand up and talk is the leader. And it's the leader's job to basically say, all right, here are the mistakes that I made in this training exercise or in this mission. You basically are bearing your soul, you're becoming transparent, and you're demonstrating to the rest of your team the, the openness that you're showing and you're admitting to your own mistakes that you made and what you could have done better so that they can then follow your lead and get up and talk about their role in the training exercise or in the mission and what they did right, and what they did wrong, and how we can make it better. But we fine-tune this over time to make it an, an exceptionally good tool for reflecting on uh, what, what did we just do, how well did we do it, how can we make it better, and demonstrating to the team that the leader is willing to stand up and admit their own mistakes at the very beginning to set the tone. Something that I've seen a number of foreign armies and the foreign militaries not do, and it was because. Uh, they will never admit failure. And that's part of the reason they're not as good as the United States military.
0: Yeah, I, I know that there's this idea that you, if you admit weakness, um, if you apologize, uh, if, you, if you show vulnerability, that somehow that reduces your power and influence. Um, that's such an old school mentality that just doesn't play out in the real world today. Uh, it's it's the opposite. So people, because people can see through it, so so they know when you're blustery and they know when you're hiding things and they don't appreciate it. They they want someone who's going to be open and transparent with them and vulnerable yeah. and they'll respect you for it. Um, they they won't look down on you for it. They'll respect you for it.
1: Yeah, trust is uh, extremely important. That's the reason it's chapter two in my book. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, Craig, it has been a real pleasure talking with you again. Uh, just like last time, the time has flown by. Uh, we're, we're at the end of our time together today. Uh, I did Before we leave, I did want to give you a chance to um, share with listeners how they can get connected with you and find your book and uh, find out if there's anything more they can um, do to lean on you and your expertise.
1: Yeah, well, I'm easily found on the Internet. Uh, if you go to Google, type my name in. Spell it right, W-H-E-L-D-E-N. It's often spelled wrong with an O instead of an E. Uh, So CraigWeldon.com. My website, I tell people, is like a window into my soul. Uh, You can find out about everything uh, there is to to know about me on my website. There's blogs. There's podcast recordings. There's demo videos. There's testimonials about me, my book, uh, my speaking. uh, My speaking schedule is on there. Uh, and much, much more. So, my website, CraigWeldon.com, uh, my book can be purchased uh, digital in print or audiobook. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn and I have rarely turned down requests for people to connect with me on LinkedIn. And I try to stay active on LinkedIn. So, I'll post something every couple of uh, days uh, to make sure people know I'm still breathing. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected, check out the book, um, see if, if Craig might be a good fit for a future speaking engagement for your organization, either in person once the pandemic's over or virtually in the meantime. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week.